Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, July 8th, 2022. Uh, now, Drew, two weeks from today, Comic-Con International will be in full swing at the San Diego Convention Center, as well as in various hotel ballrooms and meeting spaces around that cavernous venue. This is the first time that Comic-Con is back in full force since the pandemic started shutting down things stateside in March of 2020. I mean, uh, yeah, there was that Comic-Con special edition in November, which neither of us went to, right? You didn't go down. I didn't go out. I don't think any, I don't think anybody went okay. to that one. Yeah, that was, that, that one felt like kind of a bust, but it was, it was trying to make up for the fact that there wasn't one in the summer. I, I understand why they did no, it. No, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah. But again, to keep people safe, you couldn't enter the convention center without wearing a mask and you had to show proof of vaccination or have had a COVID test 72 hours out. And the very same rules apply to this year's Comic-Con International, uh, which is uh, July 21st to the 24th. Now, they've relaxed the mask mandate and that sort of thing out in California, right? They have, although there is speculation right now that the mask mandate will be back in time for Comic-Con. Yes, I saw that. They're predicting in like uh, seven days, it's Los Angeles County that supposedly will be back to up to a high COVID rate, and that'll then kick in the mandatory indoor mask mandate. Or yes, I think we're we're hovering around fifteen percent positivity rate mm-hmm. right now, which is not great, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that is also like underreported. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the indoor mask mandate will be coming back sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. So I will be interested to see if that will also carry over to Comic-Con. Well, because, again, the, 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 yeah. right now, I mean, you know, that's the thing. You can't get into that building uh, without a mask. You also have to be able to show vaccination. And I was just thinking, Drew, that's going to make the entry point. I mean, I feel so bad for the people who have to handle the security positions because it's tough enough just to check people's badges to see do you have the right badge to get in today but now to do the badge and the vaccination info there should be a way to do it ahead of time but i don't know if they'll have their their act together for that as i understand it there is an app that you can have the info on your phone and literally it's a QR code. It's the effect of, here, this is my vaccination info. It's like, boop, and I you know, go. But of course, the problem with that is unless everybody has it, there's still going to be moments where people, you know, they slow down at the, the entry point and somebody's got to fish a, a vaccination card out of a wallet or a purse or, or that sort of thing. So I guess in advance, some patience is going to be needed. Uh, anyway, Drew and I both looked over the schedule that's been announced so far for Comic-Con International. In fact, that's one of the pain of the ass things about San Diego Comic-Con, this whole, this thing that they do where two weeks out on the Thursday, you get Thursday schedule, and then on Friday, you get Friday schedule. And we're still waiting officially on Saturday and Sunday at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, and we're also just waiting on, you know, people confirming different studios confirming their mm-hmm. plans i mean it, it's all pretty up in the air still, it, is, it is we do have a we have a good idea of what it, we do what and be. we'll share that in the second half of today's show particularly focusing in on uh, the, the panels and the presentations that animation fans shouldn't miss but 
before we do that, the news and uh, you know, and as always, the news portion of fine tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, I want to start out this week's show with a plug for our brand new Disney history book, The Disney Revolt, The Great Labor War of Animation's Golden Age, which was released on July 5th, earlier this week. I ordered my copy back on July, excuse me, June 16th and heard from Amazon that I should expect it by July 20th. So I don't know if it sold better than anybody expected or they're having issues. But Drew, you, you got a review copy a couple of months ago, and you've read this, right? I did. I haven't read it yet. Oh. <laughs> That's the, the sad thing, but I do have mm-hmm. it. I will read it. Maybe we will have a we will have a book club episode. Okay. Okay. The book is written by Jake S. Friedman, who, an uh, animation historian, uh, wrote the lovely art of Blue Sky Studios. And he has a book I know you're going to want to take a look at, Drew, in the works. It's called The Disney Afternoon, The Making of a Television Renaissance, which uh, it's coming out from Disney Edition. So cool. official Mouse House stamp of approval. The thing about the Disney strike of 41... I've talked to people who actually took part in the strike. I talked with their kids. And there are still bad feelings. There are still families that don't talk to one another. They say sometimes it was 500 people outside the building who was who were picketing. Sometimes it was 600. But again, there were people who joined the picket line and there were people who didn't. And I think I was talking with Tom Cito about this, who's also written about these same issues. And he basically said that the definitive book about the strike hadn't been written yet because not enough people had died. There was still so much bad feeling to get a cold, emotional, or emotionless take on the story. Just a a number of folks who had these bad feelings were going to have to let go. And I've got to say, that's one of the reasons I really want to get my hands on this book because it was like, is this finally that book? We will see. We will see. Okay, I'll get my copy. You'll read your review copy and we'll talk about this. (laughs) On a future show. We'll talk about all the, all the typos that are in my version. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, again, remember when there were editors? You know, hey, copy <laughs> editors. Uh, I, I, it was a simpler time. Even the Wall Street Journal and New York Times these days. When I see typos in stories in the New York Times and, and the Wall Street Journal, which were the bedrock of, of copy editing, it's just sort of like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And speaking of things of what the hell's going on, did you see this Encanto sequel news? The uh, voice actress Adassa, she does Dolores in the original Encanto. She shared something on social media with her fans where she talked about the next phase of this movie. And and everybody, you know, just said, what, there's a sequel? There, you know, And it's one of these things where it's like, this reminds me of, do you remember in 2019 when Tiny Lister talked about the Zootopia sequels, the two that were coming. Yeah, where are those, Jim? Well, I I can't help but look at Zootopia Plus, the series that's coming, and figure, okay, maybe that's what it mutated into. But have you heard anything about, you know... I haven't heard anything. I think it's very early to talk about Encanto (sighs) 2. I mean, I'm sure there are discussions somewhere, um, as Chapek has called it, the next 
what did he call it? The next Disney animation franchise. Um, but and obviously there's the a parade float now and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, all right. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll stick a picture. You know, if I heard anything, Jim, I would tell that, you. That this is true. So. This is true. We can yes. we can trust true. Okay. Yes. As we were pre-gaming for tonight's show, your email was you know, just talking about you know we're looking over the animation news for this week. So many trailers. Yes. You know, just a, a plethora of, of previews. So let's just start at the top. First one out of the gate was Luck. And we've had the teaser trailer, but this is really our first look at the film proper. Uh, what'd you think? Um, I think it looks fine. I mean, uh, I think I should, I hopefully can talk about this soon, but, mm-hmm. you know, I have watched a little bit of Luck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's very handsomely produced for the most part. As the trailer suggests, it's got it's a, got a very imaginative kind of um, alternate universe mm-hmm. with, with this good luck and bad luck. Mm-hmm. And the cat is Simon Pegg and the dragon is Jane Fonda, which is, I think, the role that uh, Emma Thompson... I was going to ask you about that. Right, so. yes. And then Whoopi Goldberg is, is a... Gnome mm-hmm. or something or elf and mm-hmm. so yeah I mean there's a I think the trailer is really good I haven't finished the movie yet so I can't I can't say okay. that okay to that. But, all right uh, but yeah I'm looking forward to it yeah okay so that's uh, August fits from uh, Apple Plus TV but interestingly enough that we also have on August fifth. The Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, wait. I forgot to tell you one thing about La- Skydance Animation is that their logo mm-hmm. is actually the rocket ship and the UFO from Blush, their very first short film. No. So the two the two ships kind of like twirl in space and, and form the, the Skydance Animation logo, which I thought was neat. It's sort of like a... An instant mythologizing of Skydance animation, just as Luxo Jr. I was about is to say yes, that the, the, the yeah. in the the Luxo Jr. tradition. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. So I thought you would appreciate I that because I know we're both big fans of of Blush. Okay, cool, cool, good, yeah. great to hear. But as I was just mentioning, also on August fifth, we have Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, coming on Netflix, and I love this trailer. Oh my god, me too. Yeah, this is a continuation. Of the Nickelodeon series from 2018 and 2020? or Yes. Okay. I didn't realize that Casey Jones had never shown up in that show either, mm. but he is a character here. So this is not the big Paramount movie, which is coming, I believe, next year? Mm. Or the year? Yeah, next year. There will be a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theatrical mm. film that uh, is being directed by one of the directors of Mitchell's versus the Machine. Oh. So, so this is not that, but I think it looks really good. No, it does. And I love that animation style. No, no, I, yeah. I, I have to admit, and the writing's funny, and I really enjoy the premise. You know, the whole notion of, you know, Commander Leonardo sending Casey Jones back in time to find the keys, stop the Krang. Time travel and multiverses, Jim. That's, well, what, no, that's no, what the kids want. That, that, that's true. On the other hand, uh, we also get a trailer for Primal Season 2. Season 2 gets underway on uh, Adult Swim on Thursday, uh, July 21st at midnight. They're going to do the first two episodes back-to-back, and then the very next day this is available for streaming on HBO Max. And Gendy's really kind of opened up the world, hasn't he? Or... Well, you remember that cliffhanger, Jim. He, you know, 
he's Spear is not the only human in this landscape. There are others. So yeah. it looks like we are going to see some of these cultures. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like uh, more ass kicking fun to me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I have to say, the first season of Primal set the bar so high. And obviously, folks in the industry felt the same way. I mean, five Emmys. Yeah, outstanding Emmy, uh, outstanding animated series, first year it's on the air. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And then I saw that he was talking about that season two is actually more of a serialized story. That he says he says episodes eleven through twenty are actually one mm-hmm. giant story. So Oof. that'll be interesting. Okay. Well, maybe he'll elaborate on this because we've been talking previously about uh, San Diego Comic Con, and there is going to be a primal panel at this year's Comic Con. It's not being held at the convention center. It's being held in the Indigo Ballroom, which is right next door to the convention center in the Hilton San Diego Bayfront. In fact, that's one of the toughest parts sometimes about covering. Get uh, if you're you're someone like myself and Drew and work as an entertainment reporter, just that four and a half days that this event is being held in San Diego, you're hustling the whole time because it's like running the length of the convention center or to the various venues trying to get you know, to cover everything while you're there. And that's going to be on Friday, the July 22nd, from 1 to 1.45 in the Indigo Ballroom. Also, though, did you see that Mr. Tartakovsky has two more things in addition to Primal Season 2 coming? That What do you make of Unicorn Warriors Eternal? Well, they showed the first two episodes, I believe, at Annecy, and Did they? the response oh. was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the response was very good, okay. as you can imagine. He is kind of a superstar in the animation circles, obviously. No, I, absolutely. But the backstory in this one, I guess he tried for 20 years to get this thing made, and... and only just recently did HBO Max take a chance on it, but kind of an, an intriguing mythology, the whole unicorns finding themselves in the bodies of teenagers, right? Yeah, it seems to have kind of a steampunky aesthetic. I think that in terms of age, it's more uh, Dexter's Lab than Primal. Okay, okay. And while we're talking about Mr. Tartakovsky working with different audiences, do you want to talk about Fixed? Uh, well, there, the news came out this week, this week that Fixed is actually in animation right now. Really? That this is actually getting made because there were two projects mm-hmm. at Sony that he was supposed to be kind of rewarded with mm-hmm. after making billions of dollars with Hotel Transylvania. Mm-hmm. One was a PG-13 action film called The Black Knight, mm-hmm. and the other one was an R-rated comedy called Fixed, mm-hmm. and Fixed is in production now, 2D animation, Jim. Which is very exciting. I, I uh, agree, and... but it, at the same time, I mean, again, let me share the log line here so people understand or why it's R-rated. So it's a story of an average all-around good dog who is in love with a show dog next door. And what happens when he learns that he's going to get neutered in the morning? What does a dog do on his last night out with his besties? And Mr. Tartakowski, well, again, this wasn't, a unicorn situation, the, the unicorn warriors eternal situation. It only took twelve years to get this one greenlit, but wow! He has he has talked about the level of raunch mm-hmm. that is involved in this one, and he says it is off the charts, Jim. So 
Okay, okay. I mean, I, look, I've been in this guy's corner forever. I mean, I, I still feel like the Popeye movie that he was going to make was such a missed opportunity. So that, you know, whatever he wants to do is fine by me. But it's just sort of like I would kill to be a fly on the wall in the marketing department at Sony Pictures Animation. It's like, okay, how exactly are we going to land this plane? How exactly are we pitching fix to the masses? I'm sure it is lower budget mm-hmm. than, say, two Spider-Verse movies. And ah. I'm sure that it will be marketed as such. So as long as... You know, the, the overhead is kept relatively modest that he can do what he wants and then they'll figure out how to sell it. But I feel like there's so much, di- so many different types of animation these days um, and so many genres that it has a shot, Jim. It has a shot. There's this great interview out there with Dean Dubois and Chris Sanders. This month we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the the release of, of Lilo and Stitch. You're celebrating it, Jim. I'm, I'm refusing to acknowledge it because that makes me too old. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Again, you're, you're a relative babe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but they, they were telling the story about, given how expensive films like Atlantis the Lost Empire or Treasure Planet were, and we want to make this movie about this character. And they literally traded, you know, the whole notion was, we'll keep the price of this deliberately low. And because it's deliberately low, Disney won't interfere with the story quite as much. Now, mind you, Disney did give them lots of notes toward the end because they had a PG rating and they were trying to get a G. And in fact, it was that whole fight with Stitch and Jumba and Pleakley in the house that they... Uh, I guess they reanimated multiple times and took out guns and that sort of thing, all in an effort to get that G rating, which they never got, by the way. But I think it was Dean Dubois told this great story once about, it might be Alice Dewey, I think she was the producer in the show, get to the film, but one day she calls Chris and Dean into her office and says, remember that freedom? Because the scenes you're about to start animating are going to move us out of the tight little purse that we all agreed was the budget, the, you know, the how how much money we're going to spend in this movie. And the moment we do that, we're going to get all sorts of interference from Disney corporate. And so, you know, they just literally went through the film. In fact, Chris Sanders was talking about how if you're really paying attention to the opening of Lilo and Stitch, you know, there's a crowd scene where Lilo runs through the beach and gets in the ocean and that sort of thing. And he says, watch that scene again. There is so little real animation going on in that scene. There's a lot of people standing around, you know, and Lilo runs between right. their legs and that's it. But we did a lot of stuff to to deliberately contain the cost of this movie. And more power to Mr. Tartakovsky to the effect of if he can get his R-rated film out the door, and that's how he's doing it. It's like this costs a third of what, you know, across the Spider-Verse costs or whatever it is. So, But by the way, we were talking about the challenges of marketing something. I I was listening to the, the Hamster and Gretel trailer, which was in the pile that Drew suggested we talk about. And did you catch how it opens the line yeah. from a creator of Phineas and Ferb? That's an interesting distinction. Just one. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure about this one, Jim. Well, I know I've I know I've I know I've aired my concerns before. Yeah, I mean I love Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy, not so much. I mean, it, it, there was just something about that that didn't quite gel the way it was supposed to. 
And this one, looking at it, at least the trailer, it's just sort of like, okay, this is... I feel like we're in Milo Murphy country again. and But again, I, I feel like I have to watch an episode or two to to really determine that. But again, this, this show officially drops on Disney Channel on Friday, uh, August 12th. On the other hand, the other projects that you wanted to talk about, this Beauty and the Beast 30th anniversary special uh, that's being planned for ABC this fall. Well, I'm trying to figure out what it is, Jim, is what I really am trying to do. Based on what folks I've spoken with at Disney, this is basically a sequel to that Little Mermaid live thing that they did back in November 2019. But was it a mixture of animation? Because that's how they the press release describes this, as being a mixture of animation and live action. If you are generous in your definition of mixture of animation, as in you would play a scene from the film and then, you know, or a chunk of a piece of animation from the film, and then you switch to a performer singing the song. I think, uh, didn't uh, Queen Latifah play Ursula on that show? And what's his name from Full House? played uh, Chef oh, Louis. John Stamos. John Stamos, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems to be more of the same there, but the other thing that what I pointed out to friends at Disney is like, wait a minute, the 30th anniversary of Beauty and the Beast would have been last November. Correct. I know that because I blew a deadline on a uh, well, <laughs> story. There we go. So, so it's, it's Now I can just time it to this stupid no, thing. No, that's exactly, so, yeah. all right? But yeah, if they were doing... The film that actually is celebrating its 30th anniversary this November would be Aladdin. But I guess we'll see that in 2023. That's going to do it for the news portion of Folks Oaks. And when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about what's going on with Comic-Con. Just today, Dan Hauser, the gentleman who's in charge of PR for Comic-Con International, let's slip that Comic-Con is not sold out yet. Remember when tickets for Comic-Con would go clean like the weekend they were announced? It's almost like the pandemic has given us clarity about what nonsense Comic-Con is, but I'll still be there. But here's the thing. Oogie Boogie Bash. The tickets went on sale for this uh, hard ticket after hours party at California Adventure, and they went clean in five days. I didn't even know they were on sale, Jim. The last time I went to Disneyland was Oogie Boogie Bash. Mm. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll get tickets this year. Yeah, well, no. Nope. All 23 dates gone. On June 28th, D23 members and Magic Key, the folks who have that level of admission at Disneyland, were, you know, got dibs on, you know, getting the dates and then opened up to the general public on the 30th and by the 3rd of July. They're gone. They were completely gone. And we're two weeks out, and you can still get tickets to, to Comic-Con. I mean, that just, that seems cockeyed to me. Yeah. What do you make of Disney hosting 18 different panels at this year's Comic-Con? I didn't know that until you told me before we started recording, mm-hmm. and my blood ran cold mm-hmm. because <laughs> I want to be responsible for the that many panels, Jim, and I feel like it's going to fall to me. Although you are including things like Hulu programming, That's it, exactly. like Prey and uh, Barbarian and things like that. But that's a significant point. Because if we, we go by what happened in the past, typically during years when a D23 Expo is being held, that 
Disney would have a lesser presence at Comic-Con. You know, the notion was we want to save the good stuff for our super fans, the folks who come to the Anaheim Convention Center and spend three days here. But again, that was kind of a conceit that came while Xenia Muka was the uh, senior executive vice president, chief communications officer for the Disney company. But she left Disney in January along with, with Bob Iger. They, they both walked off into the sunset together. And Bob Chapek has made no bones about the fact that he wants to keep growing Disney Plus, which is things like Prey, is the stuff that's on Hulu and that sort of thing. He wants to to make sure that he's going where the potential audience is and promoting the hell out of this stuff. And it just, it kind of reminds me of the story they used to tell about, would you remember the flagship Disney store in New York? The one on Fifth or the one on in Times Square? Well, but see, now that's the key distinction. When Michael Eisner was in charge of the Disney company, he wanted it on Fifth Avenue because, again, he, he grew up in New York and he wanted Disney's flagship store to be in a prestigious location. Whereas Bob Iger, he wanted Disney's flagship store to be where the people were. So he was the one who insisted that we, you know, we're going to sell off the, the Fifth Avenue location and we're going to wait till we find a decent spot on Times Square and then we're going in there. So again, I look at what Bob Chapek's doing, especially when it comes to things like Comic-Con and it's like, well, shouldn't we hold back stuff for D23? It's like, no, no, absolutely not. We, we need to be we need to hard charge in there because the Disney fans are already subscribing to Disney Plus. We, we need to grow this. We need new subscribers. And let's see if we convince some of the people who are going to this year's Comic-Con to, you know, maybe sign up. So anyway, we mentioned at the top of the show that we looked at the schedule and wanted to talk about some of the panels that animation fans should take a look at. And again, I just I have to apologize because... They've only released the schedule so far for Thursday and Friday, and uh, you know, also some of the studios have put out press releases talking about shows that haven't been officially announced yet. But here's what we have so far. So starting on Thursday, July 21st, the first panel you might want to consider checking out is for the Rugrats reboot. And this one's going to be held in room 6BCF uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. on Thursday. And what's kind of cool is uh, members of the voice cast who started on the hand-drawn series, who since come over to the, the CG version, E.G. Daly, uh, Cheryl Chase, and Charlotte Chung are going to be there taking part in this panel. Now, when you've done Comic-Con, have you ever camped out in one of the rooms? or? Uh... Well, I have done the thing where I go in for a 10 o'clock panel and then I'm there the rest of the day. For sure. That's what I'm talking about here, because the interesting thing is room 6BCF, at least on Thursday, is the place you, you want to be if you're an animation fan. Because, for example, from 2.15 to 3.15, there's a, a panel in there for Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And then from 3.30 to 4.40 p.m., there's a SpongeBob universe. And what's kind of cool about that one is Tom Kenny, Bill Farkenbarger, are, are going to be there taking part in the panel. And then that's that's it for room 6BCF. You then want to try to, to move as quickly as possible over to Ballroom 20 because that's where Mike Judd is going to be presenting 
a Beavis and Butthead panel. And uh, he's going to be talking, well, not about the Beavis and Butthead universe movie that just debuted on, on Paramount Plus, but rather the new rebooted series. And then, if you could then make it back to room 6BCF, that's where they're going to do a presentation on Koala Man, uh, the new animated series from Hulu. This is from the creators of Rick and Morty and the Pokemon Detective Pikachu film. Yes, I have heard. I don't remember what it is, but I have heard about it. It's a suburban Aussie superhero. And then if you want to hang in there for one more panel, but now mind you, this one's running late, folks. But again, we're back in room 6BCF, but we have a Solar Opposites panel. And so they're going to be talking up season three of this animated series, which is going to get underway on Hulu shortly. But that's from 7.15 to 8.15 that same day. Now, if we ship to Friday, uh, we're back into Disney proper. But this time around, we are in room 6A, and we have Bruce W. Smith and Keela Pratt, who are there to talk up The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, which I, I think just got picked up for season two, right? It did. I, I Well, yes, I think that it most likely there have already been episodes made this is for true. season two. Okay. Yes. Now, yes. Uh, again, we previously talked about the Primal season two panel, which again is being held in the Indigo Ballroom, which is is not in the convention center. It's next door at the Hilton San Diego Bayfront. That's from 1 to 1.45 on Friday. Then if we go back to room 6A, we've got a Transformers Earthspark panel. That's the new animated series for Paramount+. Plus. That's from 2.15 to 3.15. And then I just feel like we have to ask people to put on running shoes because now they need to head back on over to... The Indigo Ballroom, because this is where the Bob's Burgers panel is going to be held from 3 to 3.45. And Lauren Bouchard and H. John Benjamin and Kristen Schaal will be there. But rest of the day, we've got an Avatar panel back in room 6A from 3.30 to 4.30. Meanwhile, Indigo Ballroom really feels like the place to be because we've got Little Demon. That's the brand new animated series that Danny DeVito is making for FX. That's going to be from 4 to 4.45. And then right after that is an Archer event where they're going to be doing a, a an exclusive screening from the, the season 13. And that's again back in the Indigo Ballroom from 5 to 6 p.m. And then if you're a fan of the Fox uh, Animation Domination Programming Block, if you head back to room 6 BCF, this is where they're going to be showing The Great North, uh, which with uh, Lauren Bouchard, who's the executive producer of that, who, of course, spent all those years working on Bob's Burgers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You forgot the biggest panel on Friday. Which is? Which is the Marvel Studios animation panel. <sighs> For the first time ever, mm-hmm. Marvel Studios will have two huge panels. Mm-hmm. So this one is a 90-minute panel from 11.45 to 1.15, so eat something beforehand. Okay. And it will feature Marvel Studios head of streaming, television, and animation, Brad Winterbaum, head of visual development, Ryan Meandering, mm-hmm. and other special guests. Uh, it is going to dive into all things animation, including X-Men 97, Marvel Zombies, What If, oh. Season 2... And more. All right. So So I just want to, as we are rattling off uh, the list of things, that one 
Definitely put it on your radar for Friday. That will be the biggest animation panel probably of the entire weekend. Is that so, yeah. Ballroom 20? Is that 6 BC? That is, I think it actually is the Indigo. Um, yeah. Let me see. Okay. Yeah. So when you're making your map of where where you're running around. Well, I, I think that's the other thing we, we really need to, to talk about here. Because I get what we're talking about here sounds kind of insane. I mean, running back and forth between these different ballrooms and also an, an average year at San Diego Comic-Con. If you're not in a ballroom by 10 o'clock in the morning, you're not getting in. The lines are, are so long. And in fact, that's why we were talking about the concept of camping, that you, you sometimes show up for a panel ahead of the panel you want to see, and then you just stay in the room for the, the rest of the day, you know, because a lot of the very same panels in that genre will be held in that same room. But this is the Friday that we're getting the Friday information today in real time. Uh, anyway, yes. uh, pivoting now to Saturday, July 23rd. We have a, a, a personal favorite show of mine, The Ghost and Molly McGee. Uh, that's going to be in room 6A from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And Bill Motts and Bill Roth will be there to host that. Then I know, Drew, you'd want to check out this panel, which is going to be held in Ballroom 20. It's the Simpsons panel. Uh, it's going to be held from 11.30 a.m. to 12.15 p.m. But what makes it interesting is who's hosting it, which is your buddy Alex Hirsch. Oh, that's great. Then following the the Simpsons panel, again in Ballroom 20, from 12.30 to 11.45 p.m., we have an American Guy and Family Guy panel. Then this is what kind of intrigues me about the Marvel Animation panel, because Star Trek is doing a panel where they cover Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which, of course, are, are live action series, but also Star Trek Lower Decks. And... That's being held in a Hall H, the big venue. Is it possible the animation, Marvel animation panels in Hall H? It's actually in Ballroom 20. There we go. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. But anyway, yeah, if you you want to find out what's going on, a third season of of Lower Decks, you want to be over Hall H between 1245 and 215. Did you watch Strange New Worlds, Jim? But trying to carve out time to do that. And in fact, I just heard about this season finale that I, I, in fact, I learned a little too much about it. And now I really have to watch this. Um, have you been watching it? Yeah, I think it's the best Trek thing since the 2009 JJ movie. Are you it is kidding? So me? much fun. Really? It is. It, every episode, Jim, is just a blast. Mm-hmm. And it is just a delight mm-hmm. and nonstop delight. Okay. Um, I mean, it, including it's, this finale. It's definitely been. On my radar, and in fact, I accidentally stumbled across the image of Ensign Mount in the Star Trek Wrath of Khan uniform, and it's like, yes. it's like, oh, what's going on here? So, um, no, definitely want to see. I that. cannot say, but I will say that you should watch it. All right, I, I can't. Forthwith, forthwith. All right, okay. all right. We were talking about Hamster and Gretel. That also on Saturday is having a panel that's in room 6A, but again, this is 6.45 to 7.45 p.m. Kind of a tough time slot, but I can hopefully make it work. Likewise, folks, Warner's Brothers Animation uh, is going to do some panels where they they talk about the three series that they have in the works from the Looney Tunes universe. Uh, Likewise, talking about Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Also, Adult Swim will be talking up the Rick and Morty spinoff Vindicators. Likewise, Tuca and Birdie. 
problem is, again, as I mentioned, a lot of the schedule information is just being posted. So we don't have any info on room assignments and where these panels are being held. So all I can tell you is head on over to the San Diego uh, or the Comic-Con International website, and they will have the full schedule up there come Sunday night, right? Uh, beyond that, a couple of cool things uh, to check out if you make it out to the show floor. Booth 3729, you can step into Beavis and Butthead's living room for photo op. Likewise, the Nickelodeon booth, uh, that's 4133. There's going to be a giant television where you can step inside and be on the Patrick Star Show with Patrick. Uh, there's also a Camp Coral photo op where you can sit it around a campfire with 10-year-old SpongeBob and Camp Counselor Squidward. And there's even going to be a Rugrats photo op where you can get your picture taken with the new CG versions of the, the babies. And remember, folks, uh, we live in a social media age. If So if you don't have pics, it didn't happen. So, And that's honestly what these folks are counting on. They want you to go to Comic-Con. They want you to get your picture taken with them and share them with friends and hopefully get people excited. And Drew, by the way, did you did you check out the photo I sent you along with today's reference? Yes. Okay. I will, we will discuss that after. Okay. Afterwards. All right. Yeah. Well, I shared that photo with you because again, I want Drew to be able to verify this. On Twitter earlier today, there was a, a person who was basically, I don't want to say it was a poll, but you're just sort of talking about wouldn't it be cool if. The Grand Fiesta attraction starring the Three Caballeros at Epcot. Wouldn't it be great if that were turned into a Coco ride? And the thing of it was is that, you know, so many people online were talking about, like, well, you know, it would be cool, but Disney would never do that, and there'd be trouble with the queue and, and that sort of thing. And, well, the reason I sent the image I sent to Drew today before we started recording today's show is... This, the image I shared with Drew is from a PowerPoint presentation that was prepared for the Walt Disney World Resort in the year 2017. And it lays out at that point what the next five years worth of projects for Epcot were going to be. And can you talk about what it says in regard to the Grand Fiesta attraction? Yes, by, by 2020, the Mexico boat ride reconcepting would be open. Um, there, it's looking like uh, it says slash new IP, which tells you that this really was made in 2017. Mm -hmm. But the little logo is the Coco logo. Would you care to share what the proposed budget for the redo was? <laughs> uh, Seventy-five million dollars, which I guess means new animation on the screens. That doesn't seem like a, enough. The reason I wanted to share this info, and, and more to the point, to have Drew validate it, is like, look, this isn't a new idea. Don't get me wrong. I, I love that people are, you know, ooh, I just thought of something new. And it's like, no, that's, that's at least a five-year-old idea that almost got made. And that who knows if they're going to circle back around on it. I mean, it's worth noting that Bob Chapek was actually at Epcot last week being walked around the park and being shown things. And... It will be interesting to see what Mr. Chapek greenlights going forward. What will get announced at the D23 Expo in September as part of the parks presentation. But I just want to say, not a new idea. Well, you know what's funny, too, is that Lee Unkrich got the idea for Coco while at the Mexico Pavilion. You're kidding me. Really? 
Yeah, he was on, I think it was right after the press tour for Toy Story 3 ended. He was in Walt Disney World with his family. He was in the Mexico Pavilion. He looked around and he said, wow, this would be a great place to set a movie. <laughs> oh, I love that story. I love, okay. Yeah, he told me the story a few years ago. So, yeah. Wow. There you go. Okay. It all, it's all connected, Jim. Well, I, again, see. So this is why you do a show with Drew Taylor. You, you get amazing stories. But more to the point, you shouldn't just listen to Drew on this show. You should also check out his wonderful Light the Fuse podcast that he does with Charles Hood. Have you completed your run of Light the Fuselage shows yet? Well, we, we were taking a break. I'm sure we will. there will be more episodes of Light the Fuselage in the future, especially with the home video release. Although, given how... Well, it's performing theatrically. Uh, the home video <laughs> release might be in 18 months or mm-hmm. something. So, yeah, we're getting back into Light the Fuse. We've got some really great interviews coming up. We're getting ready for the 200th mm-hmm. um, episode. Spectacular. Oh. So, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All right. There you go. But one way people can keep abreast of what's going on with Light the Fuse is they can follow you on social media. Can you tell the nice folks how they can do that? Sure, it's just Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt on Instagram and Twitter. So give me a follow, mm-hmm. and yeah, you'll get some you'll get some good stuff over there. Cool, cool. Okay, and, and speaking of good stuff, we have some other podcasts here at Jim Hill Media. We got uh, Disney Dish that I do with uh, Lentesta. We likewise have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. And we'll have a brand new uh, looking at Lucasfilm shortly. I, I got to reach out to Brian. As soon as I finish recording this one with Drew. So if you could do Mr. Taylor and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, but likewise Light the Fuse. That helps us get extra ears and get extra eyeballs. Uh, If you really, really, really like what you've been hearing here, uh, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that, that would be helpful. Social media-wise, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. But anyway, well, well, thanks for listening, folks, and Drew and I will be back soon.